0: Today what I'm going to do, I'm going to um, I'm gonna be teaching, it's not going to be so expository, I'm going to tell you a story about a guy, and the reason I'm doing that, I'll, I'll reveal it to you here in a couple of seconds, but um, it's going to take a bit, and if you have your Bibles, and I see a handful of you do, open up to Daniel, I'm going to be all over Daniel, and it's not going to be up there, I'm going to go old school like Steve said, very few, very few verses are going to be up there, but I'm going to read all 12 chapters of Daniel to you, Okay. So settle in and get your coffee down. All right, can you go to the first slide? Uh, you probably can't see these. Maybe you can. The Holy Bible. Go ahead. Go ahead and give all this points. The Holy Bible gives great details about God, our ancestors, our Messiah. As you already know, if you're a Bible scholar at all, it's filled with history, chronologies, prophecies, miracles, poetry, all of the alike. And it's been given by those that he revealed to them directly or through messengers, dreams, and visions. And then it was captured, put into the written word so that those of us through the generations can read that and see God's goodness goodness through those that he's already given that message to thousands of years ago and thousands of years even since um, that he continues to give his word. The interesting part for me is if you see there in Isaiah 55.10, even the story that I'm going to tell you about Daniel I almost have guilt that it's not going to be so expository, you're not going to be wowed by my, by my beautiful preaching style because I'm not a preacher, but I am somebody who's supposed to be able to give the reason for the hope that I have. Amen? And today there's a, there's, a, there's a reason why I'm going to go through Daniel. But in Isaiah, God says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So God's being very intentional to tell us that I've given you guys a lot of instruction through a lot of people. There's been a lot of written word, and I've given that to you, and it didn't, I didn't just throw it out there so you randomly pick it up. I put it out there because there's a purpose for it, and that purpose is going to be for you and for your life. It's not going to return back to him like, sorry God, we didn't do what you set out for us to do. When his word goes out, It'll accomplish that purpose and won't come back to him empty or unfinished. Amen? Does everybody here understand that? That's not so deep. Do you understand that? Just give me a yes. Okay. That helps me because I, it makes me know that you're hearing, that you're listening, and that you agree. If you don't agree, say, that's stupid, Stu. No, don't do that. That'll, that'll get too interruptive, but you can tell me that after. Later on in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul, who was very influential he reminded Timothy to, just to help him and probably the people he was working with. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So there's two parts there. That word is there for all of those things, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, And by the way, so that you can go and do every good work. Pastor Joey's had a lot of sermons about that this year, that God expects us to go into the world and, and to, to love him and to love his people and to teach them about him. And that's, that's, that's the tenet of Christian life. If we're supposed to know him personally. Then we tell others about that personal relationship we have with him in the hopes that they also will have one. But, it, but the Bible, the God's word, is the thing that inspires us to do that, helps us to do that, gives us training, training in righteousness, Okay, I think there's a little blip that comes up. Yep, so study his word, seek his will. This is just the first part I want to throw out there. Okay, the guy I want to talk about is Daniel. Go to the next page and just one, one click. So the reason I want to talk about Daniel comes from mousepad motivation. Okay, anybody ever have mousepad motivation? Do any of you even know what a mousepad is, so you younger generation? The older ones do. Go ahead and click on the first picture there. Those of you who were using computers when they came out in the 90s and you were so happy to get one for $2,000, you had a mouse that goes with it. And it was on this cord about this long. You see that connector doesn't even connect to anything in your house anymore. But that mouse is really big and gray. Okay, next. Well, that mouse was troublesome. It really didn't work on the table or on the counter. You had to have a mouse pad. So that's a mouse pad image that I made because I couldn't find the mouse pad that I had. About 20 years ago, a Christian friend of mine at work came in and said, hey, I left you a gift. He left me a, a mouse pad on my desk, and it says, dare to be a Daniel. I go, that was nice. And I, then I started thinking, does he think I need to be more of a godly person than I am? Maybe. You know, was he that loving Christian that's telling me, hey, stupid, you need to keep being reminded that God wants you to be more of a courageous man of God, this, this guy Daniel that I, that I had learned about in, in Bible school. But that stuck in me for years, like dare to be a Daniel. Why do I want to dare to be a Daniel? There's so many other people in the Bible, and I see myself a lot like Peter. Peter was a guy who really loved Jesus, wanted to follow him, but he kept sticking his foot in his mouth. His motivations weren't always led uh, by godly things. And then he even at one time denied Christ so bad, it could have cost him his eternal life. You know, I see myself being more like Peter because I'm a knucklehead who really wants to serve God. Anybody here relate to that? Who else in here is a Peter besides me? Just me? Well, there's two or three of us. Um, but I really relate to that guy because I want to love God so bad. I want to follow Jesus so bad. And sometimes I just, I just really screw that up. Back to Daniel. Daniel's a guy that, you know, I don't know a lot about, didn't know a lot about. And I just, I, I did study him over the years and then a lot this last week as I was preparing. So the next slide just says, why do I want to be a Daniel? Why, why would I want to be Daniel? What was my friend trying to tell me? What's my spirit trying to tell me? Um, I came up with one simple answer that settled in my spirit was he was highly esteemed by God respected and favorably regarded highly esteemed well doesn't god highly esteem all of his children i I don't know i I can't wait for that day where i i i'm waiting for him to say well done my good and faithful servant but to be highly esteemed i don't know but i want to talk about that so first let's get to figure out who daniel is like i said i'm going to start reading the whole bible to you get ready put the next one up oh can you see that maybe you can So has anybody here, anybody here still reading the daily Bible verse that the church is doing? So we're deep in, uh, what, Ezekiel right now? We just finished Jeremiah. And what we're talking about in that area is the Jews that were exiled. So God had been telling them ever since the time of Moses, I'm going to give you all this stuff. I'm even going to give you domination over kingdoms. I'm going to give you this beautiful land full of milk and honey that you didn't have to work for. I'm going to give you these trees and fields you didn't have to plant. You just got to go in and do my bidding. You can have all of that, but if you ever leave me, and then when you leave me, and you go worship your idols and that, I'm going to come, and I'm going to just destroy you. I'm going to have people carry you away, and then later I will come back and save you after you've been crying to me and asking me, et cetera, et cetera. That period of time we're talking about is when this kingdom of Babylon, I'll get into, came and laid siege against Jerusalem, laid siege against the Israelites, and they took a bunch of them back to Babylon with them almost the same place where Abraham started from. They took him all the way back. And uh, Daniel was involved in that process, and I'll go through that. But if you look at that period of time, that 70-year period happened almost the entire span of, it happened the entire span of Daniel's lifetime and a, and a little bit past that. So Daniel was very, very key in the middle of that story because the exiles, um, he was one of them, but he was also integrated into the society of Babylon's culture down at the bottom where we've been reading in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you're going to see that they too were in that period. They called these guys contemporaries because they lived amongst those same times and they, and they wrote about those same experiences. It was a lot, it was very different for each one of them. If you just finished Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Jeremiah didn't have it easy. God had him do some crazy stuff and then he ended up having to be dragged along to Egypt and I think he died there. He, he was exiled outside of the Israelite community, but it wasn't necessarily by his hand. And he kept praying that these guys would just turn around and do what God said. What God said was, go ahead and go to Babylon. I had already said that this is what's going to happen. Go to Babylon, live there, eat well, I will bring you back. But a lot of people were rebelling against that. And Jeremiah got caught up in that crowd and the kings that rebelled against that. It didn't work for them. It it didn't work at all. It it went exactly how God said it was going to go. Ezekiel, if you're reading that right now, Poor guy. Lay on your left side for, what, 390 days to represent the number of years that they sinned against me. Lay on your right side for 40 years to represent the number of years Judah sinned against me. Oh, and by the way, eat food cooked over uh, human dung. You guys reading that? Is anybody reading those stories? So so Ezekiel had to show uh, through um, a lifestyle what God was trying to say to them that was going to happen in real. Build this clay city, and I want you to lay siege against it with a pan and smash it up and show the people that God's going to come against the city, just to tell them, I'm really coming. I'm really going to tear this stuff down. I'm really going to cart you off. The, everything that you read in it, the people kept rebelling. No different for Daniel's time, but the reason we're getting into Daniel is because now all of that's over, and Daniel was 16 years old, roughly, when he first was in the middle of that. The Babylonian armies came in, they, and they took a lot of people back. Daniel was this young teenager boy, that was taken back, and there were several like that. Um, So I'm going to go over his background, just so we can lay a a base. Daniel was born of nobility. Um, I read somewhere this last week that he was probably King Hezekiah's descendant, but he's somewhere with royal blood, blue blood. He was about 16 years old when Babylon made the first seizure of Jerusalem, that he was exiled into that at at around 16, 15, but uh, a teenage boy. He was selected with a scholarship for higher learning in Babylonian culture. So those of you who've, you know, this is a spoiler alert. Daniel is the next book that you have to read. And I, I pray that uh, as we go through that daily Bible verse, you guys glean some of the experiences we're going to talk about today. But he was selected with kind of a scholarship, I call it. If you listen to uh, Babylon, or er, and uh, Daniel. Then the king ordered Eshvinas, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and then after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some of the uh, from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. So these guys are getting indoctrinated in. They brought them in. It's like, okay, now that you're here, you're of nobility, you're going to our college, and we're going to teach you about our cultures, and then we'll use you in our service in, in Babylon. During that process, Daniel was really quickly highly favored by the king. If you look back through time in the Bible, you're going to see others like that, like David and Joseph, that were very quickly loved by the leadership. Even though they were crazy leaders, um, some of these guys were absolute murderers, rapists, pillagers, um, and they did incredibly crazy things, and, and God even punished them for how crazy they got. But they found favor with this crazy king. And he even said they are ten times wiser than all the other people he put them with. So I'm going to read from... Daniel 1, 17 to 21, just to give that an image of how smart they're supposed, they supposedly are. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time, set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. He found none of them to be equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And then Daniel remained there until the year of King Cyrus, which is important, but not yet. You you see that scary part there. He said, oh, they're ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters. We'll get into that a little bit. But this group that he put them in, let's say that they were wise men. They were star followers. They were people who worked to tell the future to the king and to tell him, hey, look out for this, do this, gave him advice from the spiritual realm that they were supposed to be uh, in tune with. But these guys were better than that, and I think there's a reason why it's stated here. I want to go over the legacy that he had with two kings. There's too many stories in Daniels, there's too much to talk about in the realm of prophecies and visions and that, and if you get into Daniel, you could spend a year studying Daniel and we're not going to do that this morning, we're just going to spend a month. So, As we go through that, I want to make sure that you stay with me on this next part. I'm going to give you some legacy that he had with Nebuchadnezzar, if you've never heard of Daniel. Daniel always stood his ground. So as a faithful Jewish man, young man, 16 years old probably, he refused not to defile himself. And I'll read that to you, just how that went down. When it said the king assigned him a daily portion of the food, et cetera, do you remember that? Um, Where do I go? Thank you. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned you our food and drink. Why should you go looking worse than the other men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And Nebuchadnezzar was that crazy. He would have killed somebody for saying, hey, I didn't feed them what you told me to. You didn't give him the food from my table? Um, he would have probably killed them. But Daniel, this young kid, has some, he's got some wisdom and, and diplomacy. And um, he goes on. He says, hey, tell you what. Um, he said to the guard, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing to eat but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare our appearance to that of those who were eating the royal food and the water. The very short story of that is they looked better than anybody else around them. Anybody here who's been on any kind of a, a diet or a good eating plan and all of that, um, there's probably nothing magical about that in the first part of that. If you eat better, you won't be unhealthy. But I think God was in that too. Looked better. How does someone look better after after that short amount of time? I think God was involved in that. And said, I'll give you everything that you need. You eat your vegetables and your, and you drink your water. I'll give you everything else that you need. But but what I wanted to show here is he was he was already this negotiator and he was smart and he was wise and he was he was tactful and he didn't get killed while he was trying to negotiate his way out of things. All right this next thing that he does with uh, Nebuchadnezzar is, is very important you see this you see this story in the Bible and we're not going to go into the, the depth of this prophecy but I'm going I want to touch on it. Um, he became God's interpreter. God gave interpretations to especially Daniel and he became his interpreter and this first time he, I think he sort of did it out of self-preservation. And you'll see why. Go to Daniel 2, 17 to 23. I think you remember, I think you remember um, the background of this. Um, but the king had this dream, and it really, really scared him because he saw this image, and he didn't know what to do with that. So he called in all these wise people, including these magicians and enchanters and that, and, uh, and he said, I had a terrible dream. And they're like, oh, king, tell us your dream. We'll interpret it for you. You know, there are still people today that do that. You tell them your dream and they'll interpret it for you. And I'm always a little leery of that, unless God's put some prophecy on them and I, and I am aware of that. But he's like, oh, king, tell us your dream, we'll interpret it. It's kind of easy to interpret something when you really don't know what it means. So I think the king even knew that this group that he had doing all this great learning, he wasn't so impressed with. It because he said, oh, no, if you're really that good, tell me what my dream is and then interpret it for me okay, nobody can do that. Yes, you can. Tell me my dream, and then interpret it. Then I'll know you're telling the truth. Otherwise, I'll kill all of you. Okay, none of us can do that. Okay, then you're all dead. So this crazy King Nebuchadnezzar laid this out there. He said, go, go and um, kill all of them. Even the ones who had favor, even Daniel and his buddies who had favor, he said, go kill them. Because um, I think he knew that they just weren't going to give him any honesty, because they didn't know what it was he had a dream about. Well, In comes Daniel, this young Daniel. It's only a couple years later. But if you look at verse uh, 17 out of chapter 2, Daniel heard about it. And then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, also very young. And um, this was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning his mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Didn't say that he wanted to save all of them. In that case, a little self-preservation. I, don't, I just don't want to die. I don't want us to die. Along with those other men. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. And he knows what lies in darkness and light dwells in him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. Um, Yep. So Daniel's really, really smart. He's like, I I need to go ask God. Let's go ask God. Let's in fervor go ask God. And they did. God revealed it to Daniel, and Daniel's like, yes. Well, then he has to do something with that information. It seems really easy for us to read this and see that Daniel needs to go to the king and let him know, I know this answer. Even back then, if you notice the king, like Exerces and others that Esther approached and They weren't allowed to even go into king's court. You would be killed if he didn't summon you. If he's in a bad mood and you walked in this court and said, do you have a minute for me, king? Nope, dead. He would kill them. You didn't just go walk into his palace and just have counsel with him. And this will be like the third time Daniel's uh, been in front of him. Um, But read on where it says verse 24 to 30. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and he said to them, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. This is a teenager probably still. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once, and he said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dreams and interpret them? Daniel's smart here. Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dreams and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay at your at uh, your bed are these. As you were lying there, King, your mind turned to things to come. The revealer of mysteries showed me what is going to happen. As for me, the mystery has been revealed to me, and because not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, it's so that you, O oh king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. So, very short amount of time he's spending with the king here. But look what he's doing. He's already kind of proselytizing, or he's, he's trying to teach this Nebuchadnezzar about his God. There's a God who reveals these mysteries. He's the very one who revealed it to me. I'm going to reveal it to you, but know that it came from him. None of us can do this. None of us are smart enough. None of us have this information revealed to us. So, he's already just telling the king about this God. Don't forget. Babylon's already got all the gods they need. They're all over the place. They can just pick one and worship one. But he's telling them there is a God. There is the God. So I'll just show you the image that he interpreted. Can you throw that up there? If you can see that, what he saw was a giant statue. And he was so scared by it. And the the statue had um, different materials in it, if you remember from the Bible. And from the head, the head was gold. The chest and the arms were silver. The belly and the thighs were bronze. The legs were of iron and the feet were of iron and clay. And then there was this large stone that comes into the picture and it hits the feet and the the whole thing crumbles apart. And Daniel's telling him about this interpretation. I'm going to make sure that I... Can you click on the next one? Go ahead. And so he explains to him what these things mean. He said, oh, king... Um, this, is, this is your kingdom currently. You are the golden head. You're the one that God's given this gigantic dominion to and all this, all this responsibility to. He's given it to you. You didn't just acquire it. This is you currently. After you comes these other kingdoms. Pretty soon a, another one's going to come far less uh, precious, far less valuable, the silver. They're going to come and they're going to take over the kingdom that you have established. It's not going to pass through you and through your lineage. Your kingdom's going to be done. Then it becomes this kind of kingdom. Then it becomes this kind of kingdom. And then in the very end, it gets into very prophetic things about even the end times, the Antichrist. Now, I'm not gonna, we're not going to go there. But he's telling him that this is a gigantic thing for you to understand. Your kingdom's not going to last forever. And the king's like, okay, fantastic information. What does this result in? Why does Daniel get even credit for this? One reason I like Daniel in this is because he nudged that king to a realization um, that he should have stayed with. Can you go click on the next? What resulted in their meeting was the king exalts God. Go to the next slide. Go ahead, click. The king exalts God. He said, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered him that an offering of incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. So phenomenal thing to think about happening in in Daniel's time and Daniel's uh, influence. He's just a kid. It goes to show you just a kid, doesn't matter. If God puts something on you, he'll, he'll walk you through it. But can any of you imagine doing that today? Can you go to the leaders in your community, the leaders of our country, give them information about God, and then sit there and wait until they come to that realization? Like, oh, my gosh, you're right. God is the God of heaven. He controls all things. This isn't even about me. Can you imagine how much a country would be changed if we had some, if we had some kings who came to that realization? We wouldn't, we wouldn't be where we are, probably. All right. There's so much in here, and I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to go into the depth of all of it, but I want to capture a of a few of these just so I can give you the depth that I take from Daniel and the things that I want to capture from him. One more interpretation from Nebuchadnezzar. Um, this one is to inform the king and to give him kind of a warning. Turn to chapters 4. This is later in Daniel's life. Still Nebuchadnezzar is king. And this one is a big. This one's a great big deal for King Nebuchadnezzar. And um, he tells Daniel of this dream of a tree. It's a really gigantic tree, and there's all these things living in it. And then there's a voice in all of that that comes, and I'll explain that as we read through 19 through 27. Look at verse 19. He said, this is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Um, now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means for none of the wise men in my kingdom can, can do this for me. And Daniel interprets the dream, and he says, or Daniel, called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and, he, and his thoughts terrified him. The king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. So then Daniel answered. My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, the tree you saw, which grew very large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air, you, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth." But you, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down that tree and destroy it, but leave the stump, the grass of the field, while its roots remain in the ground, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live like the wild animals until seven, time, seven times pass for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my uh, Lord the king. You will be driven away from the people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched. With the dew of heaven, seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anybody he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. A lot of words. Let's listen to what all is going on here. The king, is God sent this message and said, guess what? I gave you all of this kingdom. You're in control of most of the free world. No longer free. You're in control of most of the world. And I gave this to you, but so much has gone wrong in your, in your kingdom and in your, in your leadership and all the stuff that you did. I'm going to chop you down. And by the way, I'm going to humble you. God didn't just take him out. He took out so many kings because they, they were doing evil against him. But this guy, he said, I am going to take you out, cut your legs off. I'm going to put you out in the field. and You're going to live like cattle, literally. This wasn't poetic. Literally, he's going to send him out and he's going to lose his mind and he's going to wander around in the pasture and he's going to eat grass and he's going to go to the bathroom, however cows go to the bathroom. All those disgusting things that an animal goes through, you're going to go through that. And by the way, you're going to go through that until you come to the knowledge that heaven rules until you come to the knowledge that I am king, and then I gave these kingdoms to anybody I please. So that's what he told to him. And then at the end, Daniel, this brave, still young man, probably getting closer to middle age, he gets really bold. If I stood in front of President Trump or President Biden or any president, Vladimir Putin, I don't care who you name, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il, if I said something like this, therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. In your wickedness, by being kind to the oppressed, it may be then, then that your prosperity will continue. You stop doing your wicked stuff, O king. Stop it. Just stop. Turn your heart to God. Turn your face back to God. He will make you prosperous. He'll do all those things that he wants to do in you. If I could say that to my leaders and be as bold as that, I think I'd be somebody. I don't think I'd ever get that audience. And I think that others have done that. There's a lot of evangelists who have had that, even Billy Graham. They've been in front of these guys and they've told them exactly those messages. I don't know how many of them got on their knees that night and thanked God for where they put them and asked God for direction for where they want them to go. I don't know. I I pray that that still happens in this this day and age. I would wish for that. Crazy thing is, he's told all this. Your kingdom's going to crash. This tree is you, going to chop you down, stick you out in the field. And all this was told to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He, he, got, he probably got scared for about, right about 12 months. 12 months later, here's what happens. On verse 28, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for my glory and my majesty? And he goes on to, to recall the words were still on my lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you, and you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals and eat the grass like the cattle. Seven times will pass by until you acknowledge that the most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone that he wishes. And then immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled he was driven away from people and he was drenched with dew of the heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Twelve months later, twelve months later he, didn't, he didn't realize and didn't remember that God is the one who said he put him on that throne. He came out and said, look what I have built. There's too many kingdoms today that the leaders are saying that and they're keeping their people oppressed and they're not doing the things they need to be doing. But this guy hes no different than them. And he said, look what I've built. Look what I've done. And before he even finishes his his bragging, God's like, King Nebuchadnezzar, here's what's coming your way, bro. It's going to go just like we talked about. Get ready. Don't have the time to get his affairs in order. He had to go out to the field pretty quickly. There's a reason for that to happen. There's a thing that happened in that. Do you realize what that is? Do, Do you realize why all that happened? It wasn't just to stop Nebuchadnezzar. God could stop any king anytime he wants. He can just say, you're gone, and they're out of power. And he can say, you're in power, and they get in power. If you think about how good and how big God is, you know, a lot of us are going to go through that exercise of futility and run to the polls this November and vote for the best president we want. I know I've got some of your attention now. What do you mean, exercising futility? I can go there and vote for whoever I want. It doesn't mean that God's going to put them at that podium, given the um, thank you address. Amen? Not everybody agrees with that. God is the one who puts the powers to be in the powers to be seat. And he's going to do that for every leader, every country, every place. And what you better pray for is that God gives them a heart that's after his own. Can I get an amen for that? Okay. But what happens is that's powerful here to me and where I take away from this part of Daniel, the last part, uh, chapter 4, verse 28 to 33. Go ahead and click again. I'm sorry, one more time. So this reformed king, I think at this point, Nebuchadnezzar probably reformed. I haven't read enough post-Daniel to understand what went on with him. But if you can see this, you probably, can you see that? I don't know. This is after all of that happened. At the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, and I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, and no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became greater than before. I think he's being a lot more modest when he's saying this now, I hope. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all of his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Amen? He's, he's at the end of this terror, reign of terror. All the people and all the kings that he took over, and all the lands, all the women, children. He killed women with children um, in, their, in their bellies. He killed whoever he wanted to, to get whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted it. And God brought him to his knees until he came to the realization. God gave him enough of a mind. come to that realization of who he is and that he's master over everything and nobody else is when he did that god restored him and this guy goes on to exalt god this pagan nasty terrorizing king exalts our same god the father that we worship today i'm not giving him any credit i'm just saying he came to a realization that we should probably come to a lot simpler than he did amen we need to come what's easy for us we live in a cushy society in a cushy world, and our our idea of persecution is someone saying, "You go to that church? Ew. They wear prayer caps. Do you really believe in speaking in tongues? I mean, that's persecution for us. Like, oh, that hurt my feelings. I, I, I'm praying about how I go back and talk to them. What's not persecution? And it's not that hard to talk about. But, anyways, I digress. And then I digress. Okay. So, I have so much and I'm not going to be able to do all this because I don't want you guys to miss your potlucks and such. Yeah, maybe I do. God, do I go on. I'm going to go over the lion's den and I might close up there. So, in this next part of, uh, this is during King Darius. So, Go all the way, 50, 60 years, and Daniel's still hot. Daniel's advice is still good. Daniel's still sought after. Daniel's still following God, and you'll know that from from here. Um, If you look at Daniel 6, 1 through 9, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps and uh, to rule throughout the land, goodness gracious, to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. And now Daniel so extinguished himself amongst the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities as the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds against David to charge him in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Isn't this interesting? Can't find anything wrong in him. There's nothing There's nothing that he's done wrong that we can bust him out on. But if we can just make it look like something bad about him and his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, Oh, Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anybody who prays to any God or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, should die. They should be thrown in the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Understand what's going on here. This is like Congress passing a bill. They all got in there, but they didn't invite the people that it, that it would have uh, had a better argument for what they were doing. And they made this agreement. Hey, Let's make this agreement, take it to the king. All of us got together, Lord. Well, they forgot Daniel. Daniel's like the third highest in the entire kingdom, and he was even being sought after to go after the entire kingdom. They left him out of that decision. He wasn't in that decision. But here's what I'm saying Daniel stays faithful to God. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God. Uh, just as he had done before, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king, and they basically busted him out. Basically said, "Look what he did. He went to pray. He prayed to another god." Remember here, this is this is probably 40, 50 years in. Daniel was consistent. If he was nothing else, it doesn't matter. So I want I want us to understand this for even current day. A time is coming when the Antichrist is going to be on the earth, and there's going to be this there's going to be this powers to be. And they're going to do stuff like this. They're going to say, you need to worship this guy right now or you're going to die. And there's going to be a nine millimeter pointed to your head. Probably. Probably. Are we going to be as brave as as this guy? And when we get that information about this other person we're supposed to praise, we do exactly the opposite and we continue to praise the God in heaven whom we know created us and his son, our Savior, whom we know died for us? I know that's one of those questions that are uh, rhetorical. It is are you are you am I are we going to be that brave? Daniel was. He stayed that. He stayed that faithful. Um, the rest of that story goes, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to read this because I want to get to this. Darius wasn't very happy about that. He got kind of duped, but his decree stood. He made them take him to the lions den, threw him in the lions den. But before he went, he said, "Oh David," or "Oh David," "Oh Daniel." I pray that the God you serve, the Almighty God that you serve, will save you from your lions. And he doesn't sleep all night, he can't eat, he can't do anything. He couldn't even handle the entertainment brought to him, whatever that means that night. But then what happens is, um, I'll tell you what it comes to in Daniel 6:16 6, through24. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. At the first of dawn, the king got up, and he hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called out to Daniel in an English voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not hurt me. Um, I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done anything to you, O king. The key to that part is, again, this is one of those things where Daniel, he's got this influence. What, what comes out of this story? Well, Darius then exalts God. Can you click on the, the next one, 25 to 27? Go ahead and hit it again. So King Darius exalts God, another king, probably another bad king. I don't know what all Darius did, but he's part of the Medes. He's part of, he's part of the Medes and the Persians that took over the kingdoms after the Babylonians. He, the king, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue, though, a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed, and his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves, he, and he performs miracles and signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, and he has rescued Daniel from the power of lions. This, this is another one of those kings that says, may you prosper greatly. Look, look, the living God who endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. We don't even get to know that much about Darius, but he was already a wise man who probably had something planted in him from God that let him know what Nebuchadnezzar was such a stonehead to hear that God is in control of everything. You only get what I give you. You only are in control of what I let you be in control of. Then the next verse: So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So from the seventy years, from the time he got captured from. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, up to the time where uh, Darius and Cyrus were the last kings that he writes about. He was faithful that entire time. And there's about, there's about 120 more minutes of what I could, what I could tell you in, in just in summary of what that was so important for. But I'm not going to do that. Um, sorry, I'm not losing my place. I'm trying to make sure I don't lose you. I will, give you, I will give you a summary of this part. This part's important for me because this shows that not only is Daniel doing this because he's well-learned, but he's also well-instructed. In the book of Daniel, he's visited so many times by angels, and he sees so many visions, and he's getting conversations that are going on that gives him the strength and the wisdom to do what God had him do in, in those higher echelon circles of the kings and uh, the crazy people that were in power. There was a time when Daniel had seen a vision, and he was going through these visions, and he was really heartsick, and he's just praying and praying, and he knew very well that the Israelites still, after these seventy years, were a bunch of knuckleheads that just would not turn their hearts around to God, and he's praying for them very feverishly and and he's wanting that things to turn around for him so in daniel Daniel nine one through six, I just want to give you his prayer to hear his heart forty, fifty years later, whenever that was. Um, in the first year of darius son of exerces made by descent who was made ruler over babylon i daniel understood from scriptures according to the word the lord gives in jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of jerusalem would last 70 years so i turned to the lord god and i pleaded with him in prayer and i fasted and i prayed to my lord and i said "O lord god and great and awesome god who keeps his covenant Um, of love with all of those who love him, obey his commands. We have sinned and we have done wrong and we have been wicked and we have rebelled and we have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants and prophets who spoke, um, who spoke your names of the kings and the princes of our fathers. Oh, Lord, you are righteous. And he goes on just pouring this out. God, we have sinned before you. We're still sinning before you. But then he, then he pleased for the people over in verse 15. Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned and we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and our iniquities, of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Um, Now, O God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant for your sake, O Lord, look with favor at your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear. O Lord, act for your sake. O my God, do not delay because your city and uh, your people bear your name. This is so heartfelt. This, I really learned a lot from this prayer from Daniel that my prayer life really stinks. I don't. I don't pray with depth of heart in the way that he did. And I love the way that he did it. It's like, God, I am nothing. We are nothing. We're stupid. We keep not following you. But goodness gracious, you are still our God and you love us. Would you turn your anger and your wrath and that, and that stuff away from me? And would you come and save me and love me? Because you are great. I'm nothing. It's not because I'm good, but because you are great and you are merciful, will you do these things? Please. It's a very powerful prayer. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to copy that and keep that with me because I want to I pray that depth of prayer. I want my prayer life to be that kind of deep with God. This, this part that I had to get to, I think this is the, the key and the crux of, uh, of the sermon today. God immediately answered his prayer. If you remember this part of scripture, um, look at verse 20, we'll go to twenty twenty three. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, still in prayer, in this prayer, Gabriel, the man that I had seen in the earlier vision, angel, came to me and in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice, he instructed me and he said to me, Daniel, I have now come to you to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. So crazy thing. He's in the middle of praying. After all these years, he's just praying and praying and praying. And this angel Gabriel, not, no, no little angel, archangel Gabriel, comes to him and says, hey, yep, okay, we heard. you started praying. God already knows the rest of the prayer. He knows what you're going to say. So as soon as you started praying, he sent me, and I got a word for you. He wasn't even finished with his prayer. And God sent Gabriel to say, hey, I've heard you. I've heard you. And here's what I, I want to tell you. Here's what I want to give you. And oh, by the way, I'm doing this because you're highly esteemed. God thinks a lot of you. You're favorably regarded. I don't know what person on earth can, can stand and say that they believe that they are favorably regarded because of who they are. I hope you can stand and understand you're favorably gar- regarded because of who he is. Amen? He loves you. He loves each and every one of us. We are precious to him. He wants that none should perish. but That should never come from our own mind or from our own lack of humility, from our own pride. But God says that he, you are highly esteemed. Click on that next piece. So over the seventy years, Daniel had God's ear and favor, and Gabriel was dispatched immediately to give God his answer, or to, for God to give him his answer. So in closing, got these last couple pages. Um, click on that. What I capture from characteristics of Daniel that I liked and that why I would want to be like a Daniel, he's faithful to God alone. He showed that he never compromised. He's prayerful. He's multicultured, multilingual. He wrote in Hebrew, then Aramaic, then Hebrew. So he was speaking to the Gentiles and the Babylonians, or the Gentiles and the Jews. He wasn't forgetting anybody. The, the people that he wrote to, he was writing all this to them. He wasn't hiding it from the Gentiles. He wanted to let them know that God is God of all of you. He's God of us. And this is the things that he revealed to me. But he's multicultural, multilingual. Intelligent, confident, smooth and diplomatic from what we can tell. He was brave. And he was fully committed to God first, and then to the countries, the kings, and the countries that he served. We hear that all the time now. You know, you, you could leave here and see a sign that says, "God, country, guns, something." Right? Anybody seen those? You always get that priority right first. You put God up there; the rest of it doesn't matter. But put God up there. But um, he he always committed himself to God first. He always went to prayer to God first, and God revealed these other things to him and helped him in that very diplomatic uh, relationship he had to have with those crazy kings. Okay, the last part, I believe I said, what's my takeaway? Oh, I say last part, two-page, it's two-page part. It appears that Daniel showed strong faithfulness from the time he was taken as a teenager all the way to the end of his life. He survived 90 years of the decimated Israel and Judah, unpredictable kings, cultural shifts, enemies. And all of that within a 70-year period. He lived to be about 90, from what I, what I understand from some side books I'm reading. He was favored from the kings of Babylon, from Nebuchadnezzar to Cyrus. All the craziness, all the different, all the different kingdoms that took over, they still favored him because God favored him, because he was highly esteemed. Not because he was anything great, but because he was obedient to God. He, he became part of Babylon's culture without compromising whom God had made him to be and the service he provided Daniel served the Babylonians and Israelites with cultural diplomacy, prayers and interpretations and prophecies. Steve touches on that. Steve's an American living in Bolivia, speaking about the same God and the same Christ that we all belong to, but he's having to do it in Russian, Spanish, and English. So you think about that cross-culturally. I bet Steve's really, really good at that. I see him as a Daniel in that respect. Daniel was always wise, diplomatic, but he was always honest. Even if his life was at stake, didn't care, take me out. Except for that first year. That was self-preservation when he was 16. Hey, don't kill all of us. I got some dreams interpretation. In short, Daniel was a very righteous man who never turned his back on God and whom God highly favored. So I go back to my friend's mouse pad that he gave me years ago, and I think about um, if I dare to be a Daniel, what is that for me? What does that mean to stew? What, What you guys take away is up to you. If you, if you can understand the rambling that I had and the tons of scripture that I gave you, I encourage you to go back and read it by yourself. Read it before it comes up on this daily Bible verse because it'll take you, it's probably gonna take a month to get through Daniel, but uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating uh, book of the Bible to read. If I dare to be a Daniel, what is that for me? Well, my faith life. I want to live my life in a way that whatever my surroundings, I stand out as a child of God in the image of Christ concerned about all the other children of God. I really do, I really do mean that. Not just in here. You guys are all from different walks of life, all different school districts, all different ages, even all different religious backgrounds. Maybe some of us grew up in uh, non-denominational churches or Catholic churches or Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Methodist, Mennonite, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we have different backgrounds. If you're like some of us who have traveled, I've been to 16, 17 different countries around the world. I can't change who I am. My intention is to be who God made me to be, the good stuff God made me to be. um, Wherever I go. In my prayer life, I would like to think that as soon as my prayer starts, God is sending his answer in some powerful way and that I fully accept his answer, whatever it may be. I don't want to say that I wish that Gabriel would come visit me in the middle of the night because I would probably pee my pants. Some of you laugh. If you read that in the Bible, almost every time that an angel appeared or some holy presence appeared, people were scared to death and they had to be given strength to even be able to stand and speak because we're so scared, like you just don't know what to do. But if that's what God chooses to do, I, I trust him. I trust he would give me the, the, the strength to speak and to hear. My courage, I pray that if I ever face real persecution or even death, I will stand firmly, knowing that God Almighty always has my life in his hands, come what may, even if it's a bullet. And then hard conversations. Daniel had a lot of hard conversations, Lord knows I need his help to meet with, to love on, and to speak his truth to those he puts before me. Even if he puts widows, orphans, the homeless, or kings, presidents, or governors in my path, may I be his messenger, also highly esteemed, because he is faithful, merciful, and he is love. Amen? That last part really strikes me, and and, um, I won't give details, but some of us have had a lot of people in our lives that are struggling with all the ways of the world. I don't care if it's abortion, homosexuality, uh, following dark arts, dark magic. If you watch even the television stuff that's on right now, the shows that are on, it, anything's open. Whatever you want to program, you can program. So we, we got to get back to those decisions of starting to turn that thing off and roll it back in the closet or put it on the curb. Um, but those hard conversations, how do you talk to somebody who comes up to you and said, I don't want to hear none of your Jesus crap? Okay, is there any way I can pray for you? <laughs> I had a friend tell me that yesterday. He called me. He was telling me this nice story. He's sitting in town, feeling sorry for himself, back surgery. And this guy came up and was talking to him. He said it was a pastor. And he said, we had a good conversation. But then he said, hey, how can I pray for you? He didn't ask me if he could pray for me. He asked me how he could pray for me. And those are powerful ways to approach people. You don't have to, you don't have to beat them up with this. You have to love them with this. But you can give them the truth that came from here. It's the truth that sets us free, Amen. I know that's cliche, get a bumper sticker, but it's scriptural. It's biblical. It's biblical. The truth is the thing that will set us free. To be able to do what Daniel did, to be able to do what all the all the prophets did in the Bible, even though they knew their lives were in danger and they probably were going to die, we might face that in this life. But the key is that, that we do take that courage and we go and do his will, whatever it may be. Amen? All right, let's uh, bow our heads and we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the way that you trained Daniel in the way for him to go, Lord. We can just read that book several thousand years later, Lord, and see how you were inspiring not just one or two, but hundreds of people to go out and to give your word, Lord, in the way that it needed to be heard and the people who needed to hear it, and that your word does not come back void, Lord. You sent it out with a purpose, and your purpose was fulfilled, however that was through Daniel, Lord. Um, Thank you for letting us learn about him today, and thank you for the things that may settle in us and our spirits today about how you want us to be more bold, Lord, and how you want us to be more prayerful, Lord, and how you want us to be more in connection and speaking the truth, Lord. We can't pass your truth off, Lord, without speaking about you and about acknowledging who you are that others may acknowledge you like these kings finally did, Lord. I pray you give us the courage, the boldness. Lord, I pray for the opportunity. There are some in this congregation, Lord, who are scared to death of that opportunity to come before them, and I pray that you give them courage to go through anything that you put them, Lord. And the Holy Spirit would reveal to them what, what to say, what to do, how to love in each of us, Lord. Don't let us be afraid. Let us be bold and mindful of who you are and how many need to hear about you, Lord. Guide us as we go through this week. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for all your provision. We love you and we trust you. We need you, Lord. Lord, we need you every day, every minute, on the, in the valleys, on the peaks, Lord. We need you every minute. We love you. We trust you. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. In your precious name, I pray. Amen.